Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, Mile Marker 124. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we are at our last, last campsite, bonus campsite, in the mountains of North Carolina. Hey, how are you, Gumby? I'm pretty good. I've uh, been busy, and yeah, it's, uh, when you say bonus campsite, care to elaborate? This was a camp that was recommended by a state park employee a number of months ago and uh we were just finishing up at linville gorge and i said well let's go down what is what was it route 181 and check out that forest road and see what's there and maybe we'll spend the night maybe we won't but we'll just know and yesterday we went on an epic hike up river not in the river which is something that we also do but uh there was a trail it's kind of overgrown lots of poison ivy uh, a little bit treacherous at times, but absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, breathtaking water, rocks, everything. Yeah, and uh, this is a really um, interesting way to end the summer. For one thing, this is the longest we've ever stayed in the mountains. Usually we uh, leave around, I don't know, the middle of September or beginning um, when it just starts to get cool, we figure it's time to head back to Durham. We decided to push it, like, not to head back until uh, the very end of September, beginning of October. And, yeah, we can definitely feel autumn, like, moving into the mountains. So that's been new. And this campsite, um, we're only here for three days, four nights and three days. So that's one difference. All the campsites we've done this summer, as we've said in former episodes, have been two weeks. So this is kind of... Uh, you know, what I thought Teresa meant by bonus is like just kind of fitting it in oddly, like just a few days here. And it's the only brand new one that oh, we've yeah. never been to. All the other campsites, we've at least spent like one night on that road on the, at, the, at that creek. Um, but this one, totally unknown to us last year. So it's kind of cool to uh, end our summer here at a brand new campsite on a road we uh, have never really explored. And... Um, that makes me think of, like you mentioned, our hike yesterday. Um, kind of a theme I feel like that I've gotten this summer, a general uh, direction is, you know, we mentioned the spring that we found um, at the campsite at Linville Gorge last week. And it was just two minutes past our usual walking area, an area where we had no real water to get to. So two more minutes, bam, beautiful. One of the most beautiful springs I've ever seen. Clear beautiful, clean water. So here, once again, we've got our turnaround point. And what was it, three minutes past that? That was the first, like, access down to the river? Yeah, after that? well, and um, there was a spring not too much further after that. Well, the that. spring wasn't so important for this one yeah. because we've got a whole river. But three minutes past our turnaround point was the first of a few accesses down to the river. And when you go upriver just, what's that, like 18 minutes walking 
it is gore. I mean, this the part of the river we're at is gorgeous. It was like notably gorgeous already. But then when you go up there, there's these huge sloping rocks that starts forming like a little gorge there. Um, waterfalls, cascades. Big just pools of water. Deep. Big, yeah, and deep and uh, just amazing. And once again, you know, it's like this lesson keeps finding me this summer. And I feel like it's a lesson of encouragement. It's like just two minutes more walking. You never know what you're going to find. It actually makes me think of... Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the movie Castaway, the character Chuck Nolan. And I'm going to, what do you call it when you try to quote somebody, but you're not really quoting them exactly? There's a word for that. Paraphrase? Paraphrasing. So I'm paraphrasing here. I used to know this by heart, but I don't think I do anymore. But he says something to the effect of, and I know what I got to do now. I got to keep going because tomorrow the sun will rise and you never know what the tide will bring in. <laughs> That, to me, is kind of the spirit of the message I'm taking away from the mountains as we're leaving them this summer, is just keep going. You never know what's two minutes more down the road if you just keep walking. You never know, like, what beauty is right around that next corner. So I leave with a feeling of uh, optimism and encouragement and, um, yeah, just a feeling of recognizing even when things are challenging and things are down, um, yeah, just wait. Just wait, right around that corner. I mean, you know, like Little Orphan Annie says, the sun will come out tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. <laughs> All right, and Daddy Warbucks. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that trail, um, when we were walking it, I was telling Teresa it felt like this is, feels like one last gift from the mountains because it got really challenging. It got full of poison ivy. And so, you know, we're trying to navigate this trail that's getting rougher and rougher, full of poison ivy. But interestingly, we both noticed the poison ivy tended to be on only one side of the trail at a time, except for just a couple small spots, which was really interesting because there's a path through it. We could just <laughs> lean away from it. We could navigate it. It was really nice of the poison ivy to do yeah. that. <laughs> and then the poison ivy cleared out and it got really treacherous, like steep slopes. The trail was eroded and eventually it uh, just wore out altogether and we had to turn around a ways into the mountains. But um, yeah, it was like, it was so interesting how there was like one formidable challenge after another, but they didn't pile up so much that we were overwhelmed by them. And it just... It brought home to me, like, how often gifts come in the form of challenges. Because challenges are opportunities. They're opportunities to focus. You know, they, they take your scattered mind, and to overcome a challenge, you have to really uh, hone your focus. You have to deepen your commitment to what you're trying to do. And that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what especially Teresa and I, trying to pursue this path where we're leading, need. And so... That last walk, that beautiful day, these beautiful views, this message of encouragement just three minutes past our turnaround point, these challenges, it just felt like gifts, more gifts, such a summer of gifts. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful. Um, that's my parting, my parting feelings as we're leaving the mountains because tomorrow we're packing up and we are leaving the mountains for half a year. We're going back down to dirty old Durham mm. to weather the winter. And, uh, yeah, I've got some feelings of... Uh, trepidation um i just more and more i see the mountains as paradise paradise isn't without challenges i've thought about that before like people picture heaven as everything's perfect you sit on a cloud you play your harp and la-di-da 
<laughs> but what would a world, what would heaven be without thunderstorms? What would heaven be without the occasional cloudy, cold day that you just get to co- like settle in and get cozy and just like sleep some more and, and, and hibernate? And then the sun comes out and you're reminded of how beautiful it is. Right. What if heaven was every day just a sunny day? How could you not take that for granted? So the deeper I understand the value of these challenges coupled with this immense beauty, the more I realize, like, we're in paradise here, and it's hard to leave paradise. I understand why we're leaving it, because I'm not sure we're ready for uh, a winter in the mountains. And uh, we got some stuff we want to do in Durham. But, uh, yeah, it always feels a little bittersweet. Well, I don't know about the sweet, but... (laughs) We've got sweet persimmons across the street from the campsite. Yeah, and just today, after three days, we found spice bush berries and uh, autumn olive. Yeah. Yeah. It took us three days to see these bushes that are right here, not even in the woods, right (laughs) on the border of our campsite. Just had to look a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you had mentioned, I forget how you said it, but it reminded me of the, uh, the first day of fall and that challenge the night before and... And then when fall came in, it was this huge wind. I mean, I've been in some wind, but I ain't never been up on a ridge in the mountains where there are trees that are just like bowing and bowing down and uh, they're right over my head. And uh, so I was... I was like very, very grateful that nothing happened to us. Yeah, it was so dramatic. Like Teresa is not uh, 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 exaggerating. I mean, it was like everything was in motion. It was blowing in like a hurricane. You could hear it coming. It sounded like we were right next to the ocean. Yeah. You could hear the waves of the wind coming, and then it would just hit us so hard. Um so dramatic and the cold came with it and it was like right after that i've never seen autumn come in so definitively the autumn equinox and then bam that night it is autumn and yeah. it's been autumn ever since and remember what we we saw a lot of like even in our campsite snakes seeking cover and and warmth yeah not just say, snakes we saw like uh right before that more birds uh-huh. a rabbit all the wildlife you know, that was kind of a, a cool thing to pay attention to. I'm hoping I can keep drawing the links and deepening my observations so I can start realizing why things are moving that way. But we talked about um, our last episode. We just saw a rabbit mm-hmm. for the first time. We'd just seen a towhee brave our campsite. And we wondered, like, that seems significant. What could that mean? And right after we recorded that night, I think we got our answer. Yeah. It meant they were recognizing like, bam, autumn's about to drop like right on our heads. Take cover. Yeah, we better get ready. Like it's it's time to take some chances and get some food. Oh, not to mention, yeah, taking cover from acorns and um, buckeyes and all sorts of other things that were falling out of the tree. I even collected, oh, Gumby helped me, a, a bag of chestnut oak acorns. Mm-hmm. The biggins. Biggins. And, geez. Where do I want to go from there? You got any ideas? Well, I got plenty to talk about. Okay, go ahead. Um, I mean, there's so many things about the mountains we wanted to like kind of touch on, especially any last words of the mountain. You were about to say something? Oh, um, that and that. Talking about like 
I don't need a prompt, girl. You go ahead and talk about it. Well, um, for a couple weeks, at least, we had been saying this quote, and Gumby couldn't remember where it came from, but it's, a mountain's got its own ways. And we would say that about the weather or just about something strange that would happen. And, uh, And you finally looked it up. Where'd it come from? Well, you remember where we thought it came from? Well, I think I thought it just came from Les Stroud from Survivor Man. Well, it was a uh, Les Stroud had quoted it, and it was also at the beginning of a uh, episode of Alone, oh, yeah. where they'd share a quote. I thought it was John Muir, but it turns out it's from this really awesome movie. And if you haven't seen it, go see this movie, Jeremiah Johnson. I think it came out maybe in the seventies, um, starring Robert Redford. But there's this great character in there called Bear Claw. So Robert Redford is headed up to the mountains, and uh, you know he's trying to make it, and he's got some skills, but he, what, what he's mainly got is resolve. He's decided he's going to do this. He's going to take this risk, even if it kills him, and it is about to kill him. He's starving. He's like making all his mistakes in the middle of winter. His uh, fire keeps going out, and by the time he runs into Bear Claw, you know this old mountain man, um, he's really needing some help. So I love the scene where he meets Bear Claw, and Bear Claw says. Well, Pilgrim, why don't you go in my cabin and help yourself to some meat? I'll be right back. Can you skin a grizz? <laughs> and Robert Redford's all like, I can skin anything. And he says, you mighty cocky for a starving, Pilgrim. <laughs> so Robert Redford goes in there, and he's like cutting off some meat and starting to chew on some dried meat, and he hears something like this old mountain man laughing. And he looks out the window, and he just stops chewing because he's in disbelief because this guy's running through the snow with a grizzly bear chasing him. And he runs right into his cabin and then jumps out the window on the other side. And so Robert Redford, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, is left in there with this grizzly, and you just hear the tussle inside until he finally shoots him. And Bear Claw yells back at him, Now you get that one skin, and I'll go bring you another. <laughs> but it turns out, that's a quote from Bear Claw. You know, he's talking to Robert Redford about what it's like to live in the mountains and the hardships and everything. And uh, at one point he says, The mountain's got its own ways. And, boy, that is that is so true. Uh, maybe of mountains all over the world. Um, and you just burned that into one of your bamboo flutes, that quote, in cursive. I did. That was the hardest thing I burned in with a magnifying glass. Try to write in cursive with a magnifying glass. Uh, there's a little room for error, and I'm so glad that it, it came out. Because one of the things about burning things in with a magnifying glass is you're getting blinded the whole time. Because <laughs> you're looking at this bright spot of light, so you can barely see what you're doing. So it's just kind of half skill and half prayer, which is kind of a neat neat skill, you know, to, to combine those two things. But. Mm-hmm. And something else that you were burning in was a uh, I Ching symbol that you looked up. You had remembered... Something, but then you were like amazed at what the uh, the meanings meant. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that has impressed Teresa and I about being up here in the mountains is we sometimes call this the sky country. When we're leaving Durham in the spring and we come back to the mountains, we uh, say, "All right, we're heading back up to the sky country." And it is just amazing to climb these mountains. And to feel so close to the sky. Sometimes the clouds even resembles mountains. You can't see where the range of mountains ends and the the clouds begin. Um, You really feel like the sky is reaching down and the the earth is reaching up Mm -hmm. to to embrace each other. Um, This feels like a a meeting of the worlds, like Mount Olympus. And so we already had that thought in our heads. And then um, 
you know, we have movie night sometimes, like every few nights when our laptops are charged up, we got enough charge on our laptops to watch a movie. And Teresa picked out this old movie made in the 1940s called The Razor's Edge, starring Tyrone Powers. And uh, at one point, the main character, who just wants to loaf, we've mentioned this movie before, but he winds up in India seeking answers to these deep uh, metaphysical and existential questions he's got. And he meets this guru. And um, the guru says strange things happen up in the mountains. He's about to send him up into this cabin at the mountaintop. And he says, it's, uh, you know, you find things up there when there's nothing above you except the sky and God. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that is that is the holy sacred I sometimes feel up here. So it got me thinking about this oracle I used to consult when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, I loved oracles. I got tarot cards and learned how to use them. I got an I Ching book, um, which is a type of oracle, and flipped the coins and got readings from that. I even learned how to read palms. And let me tell you, <laughs> if you're young and you are a guy... I don't know how this works for girls, probably not nearly as well. But if you're a guy and you want to meet girls, especially if you're at school age, high school age, fucking learn how to read palms. <laughs> oh, my God. If there's one thing that you can exploit, and exploit carries a negative connotation. Um, to exploit means to use. It doesn't have to be like a, a bad way. It could just be a tool. You know, like I exploit a hammer to, to pound a nail in. To, so a great tool to exploit, to use, to meet girls, to, to uh, you know, kind of narrow that gap between you and this girl that you want to meet is people's ego. Everybody wants to learn about themselves. <laughs> oh, you're going to tell me about myself? Nobody can resist getting their fortune told. Everybody wants to hear, tell me more about me. So I stumbled on this and only began to use it. I wish I'd have known what I know now back then, man. Whew! I would have used this. But palm reading. Suddenly you're sitting down, and this girl who just moments before would try to avoid making eye contact with you is suddenly gently putting her hand into your hands. And you can look into her eyes, and you can gently trace the lines of her hands as you tell her all about herself. Ooh, titillating. Tell me more about myself. My God, it is such a good icebreaker. So that's something I'm going to pass along. I probably won't work so well for old people. You could try it. You could try it. But anyway, back to the I Ching. (laughs) The I Ching has these symbols, and they they represent basic things like uh, water, um, you know, things like that. But I was thinking the sky, meaning the mountain. I wonder if there's an I Ching symbol for that, when you put two symbols together, it's called a hexagram, and that has its own meaning. So I looked up the symbols of the I Ching, and I found one that was a mountain. And I found one, there wasn't one for sky, but one that was heaven. And it turns out the hexagram, which is three solid lines, which is heaven, over one solid line above two broken lines, like dash, 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 That's the symbol for Earth. So you've got a hexagram that's six lines high. Dash, 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 four solid lines. And that symbol is known as T-U-N. Not sure how to pronounce it. I'll just call it Tun. Tun? Tun? And it is the symbol for retreat. How perfect. When I started reading the description for retreat, 
it was describing, it is not a failure to retreat when the battle is can't be won. Mm. To pull your forces back and to rethink, to revitalize yourself, to consider your strategies, that is wisdom. And that is what the symbol is all about, heaven over earth. And I thought, my God, that is exactly what escaping society is about. That's why <laughs> we don't advocate protesting, fighting, bringing down the government, tearing down civilization, because none of that's doing any good. We advocate pulling away, not out of pacifism, not out of an unwillingness to fight, but because there's no fight to be had right now until you pull away and strengthen who mm-hmm. you are, what you can change, then possibly you may see an opportunity to fight. Now you have time to strategize. So that, ever since I learned that symbol, I've been burning it into everything I do. <laughs> if I make a spoon, if I make a flute, um, that's become my symbol I burn in, that hexagram. And so you were, you were even saying the other meaning for retreat as well. Just like a, a place to, uh, to feel nourished and to revitalize yourself. So, yeah. Well, you pulled words out of me until my throat's sore, Teresa. you gotta, <laughs> you got to talk about something here. Well, let's talk about our health for a few moments here. Ooh, I jump think, into that. Speaking of your throat getting sore, that's just from talking. Um. I think we've had a couple listener write-ins or at least some questions about what we do for our health care. You know, do we have health insurance, et cetera? And at first when I didn't have health insurance, I was kind of freaked out. But now I just, honestly, I just kind of forget about that because health insurance doesn't anyway protect you so much as it like can potentially repair you. So I just try to protect myself as much as I can. And, um, Gumby and I talked about this the other day. Like, I know that we can always do better when it comes to our health. There's a lot of things I can do better on, but I feel also that this way of living, um, in case you are wondering, it might not be altogether better physically, but I know one thing mentally, emotionally, I feel happier. Well, I want to be really honest since you brought up that topic. Um, I feel like, you know, we kind of skirt that issue when we describe it that way. Like, let's talk about our health problems because I'm 45, Teresa's 41, and I'll let you judge for yourself if this is like, uh, I don't know, normal health problems for people our age. Teresa gets dizzy a lot. Like, she's always like squatting around the fire or kneeling down. And more often than not, when she stands up, she gets really dizzy. And yet, this is something that I've had... Um, since I was in my twenties, cause I remember I would be exercising at the gym and go through these dizzy spells. Like sometimes it seems like there's a black curtain that's like going over my eyes and that's when I really have to sit down and be careful. But usually I just, it just seems, I don't know if it's vertigo or something. It feels like everything's kind of spinning and I just have to like almost hold my breath and just wait for everything to stop. Yeah, and you did say that runs in your family, like your dad got really bad dizzy spells, mm-hmm. which likely was involved in the uh, his death a couple of years Possibly, ago. Possibly, yeah. Um, and me, I can say for myself, I, I get these like really bad muscle cramps. I get back aches a lot that move around. Sometimes it's my lower back or upper back. Um, I have chest pains pretty frequently, 
Um, and let's see. I also get dizzy. Sometimes I'll get like, especially when, when I go into town for some reason, I'll, I'll get these spells where I'll just feel kind of nauseous and all around like alarmingly bad where I will like just try to seek a private place that I can just lay down completely and relax for a while until I feel better. So I honestly don't know how much of our physical health has to do with the way we're living, because I also, um, all these things are not new. I have to remind myself when sometimes I get alarmed, like, oh my God, what if it's, you know, something out here, some environmental factor. But I got to remind myself when Teresa and I first met, I was living in a trailer and I was having such alarming health issues that I would tell Teresa, I think I'm going to die soon. I want you to know that. I don't know how long I'm going to be around. It's always comforting when people tell you that. Yeah, she would ask me to stop talking about that. But I wasn't talking about that to be morbid. I was trying to be honest with myself and the people around me. Like, I really feel like something is, uh, the sand is running out of my hourglass. So for all I know, coming out here has actually extended my time. I might not have lasted six more months. I don't know. And some people think I'm stubborn. You know, I am stubborn, but... As far as uh, not seeking modern medicine, it's not just that. I did try to go to doctors. They'd give me the runaround. They'd give me theories. More often than not, if I had something actually come to fruition, for instance, my gallbladder taken out, I had gone to doctors that charged me huge bills. And what they told me is the conditions were ripe that I might have an ulcer. Not that I had one, but that I might be trending that way. Nothing about my gallbladder. Nothing helpful. And yet they cheerfully gave me a huge fucking bill and invited me back. You know, we could do more tests. We could try other things. Yeah. I just wasn't willing to go down that hole. I eventually decided, even if I could, I don't know if I could afford, if I am even financially able to find a way to go through those hoops. But I didn't want to. I do not want to put myself in their hands. I saw my mom go through that, mm -hmm. and I've seen other people go through that. And for every medicine, everything they fix, it looks like they break two more things. I just decided <clears throat> I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to do my best to take care of my own health. And when it's my time to clock out, I was never guaranteed to live to 80. I never even wanted to live to 80. I didn't think I was going to live to be 45. But I'm still here. And, uh... I just want to make the most of the time I have, not extend it, but just live it. That's one of the reasons I love being in the mountains is because I'm surrounded by beauty. I'm already in heaven. Yeah. So, you know, if some of the theologians are right and I haven't, you know, said the right incantations and kissed the right asses and I, I wind up in hell, well, I certainly got a hell of a nice vacation in heaven before they sent me to hell. So <laughs> at least there's that. And I'm going to see a lot of people I know down there, so I guess I'm going to have company. But unfortunately, I don't like most of the motherfuckers I know, so it will be hell. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's what I've got to say about health. And I, I guess the other thought I had is Teresa and I are conducting an experiment out here. We don't know how to rewild. We don't know what it's like. To live like this, we're experimenting. We're trying new things. And um, if we continue, it's going to kill us. It will kill us. But I don't mean that because this is so bad or it's more dangerous than any other path. If you're an electrician for your life, you gave your life to electrician, electricianism? <laughs> Electricity? Electrical work? Yeah, you've given your life to that. These are the hours of your life. You gave them to this, to yeah. being an electrician, to being a plumber. An office worker. An office worker. So that thing eventually killed you. It was the thing you gave your life to, and then 
your time's up, you die. So we're, uh, I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm giving my life to this. Yeah. At this moment. Don Juan in the Carlos Castaneda books talks about a path is only a path. You can change your path at any time. So when I say I'm giving my life to that, it's a commitment right now. If I see things differently next week, hell, I might rent a trailer. I might do something different. I might get a job because I'm not going to feel tied down to an understanding or a truth that I had yesterday when I have a new one today or tomorrow. I will adapt. But for right now, it makes the most sense for me to be out here. This is the closest I've ever come to source, to God, to the thing that I've always been after, to that thing that matters. And uh, if it does indeed wreck my health, it's worth it. I'm willing to explore that to the end. Because what would I go back for? Yeah. To wreck my health doing something else? What? Not only am I in the most beautiful places I've ever seen, the cleanest water I've ever dipped my ass in, <laughs> but I have organized my life that I have the time to enjoy it. What more could I want? Yeah, so keep that in mind as you're uh, deciding whether or not you want to try this. And I think that uh, we've met a number of people this summer that are um, different varying ages and, and abilities of camping or being outdoors people. And for whatever their uh, circumstances are, they're not letting that stop them. We even met a lady that was using one of those big top gazebo tents. I love this. She's like a 70-year-old woman and she got like clear shower curtains and big binder clips and put the shower curtains up to make sides for her gazebo thing, her big top tent. (laughs) And that was like her indoor space that if it rained or if it was a little windy or something, she could just be out of the elements. And uh, she looked great. And I know we're getting ready to be done with this segment of our podcast, but I got to say for a 70 something year old woman that like smoked and drank and did all sorts of other questionable things, she looked glowing. Maybe it was the dog dewormer that she was also taking. Yeah, she did look really good. Pretty hot for a 70 year old. Oh boy, I figured. No, but seriously, she did look like really, really well, um, Crazy as a you know, crazy as a bat. That could have been the dog dewormer. <laughs> could have been the dog dewormer, but yeah. And another thing I want to say about health that Teresa pointed out, we were talking a little bit about these uh, health issues the other day. I try to bring them up often because I want to. I like to bring up things that Teresa doesn't necessarily want to talk about, and we argue a lot because this is where Teresa suddenly doesn't get talkative when I'm trying to bring up some stuff like this. Sometimes I'm like, "This is when I need you to talk," but I like to bring up like. Hey, do you have concerns about our health? Do you have concerns about your health? I don't want us to blindly go down a path because we're not looking at the things that are uncomfortable. I want us to be able to look at the uncomfortable things and to say, it's worth it. It's worth it. That's why we're doing it. I understand there's a danger. There's an unknown here. I still think it's worth it. That's where I want to be. And that's where I want to be with a, a partner who's traveling that path with me. So I bring up stuff like that that people, Teresa or anyone else, that doesn't necessarily want to talk about. But she brought up something else that her mental health has never been better. I would say that as well. I uh, partly jokingly in a former podcast say I do get concerned about my mental health. But 
I was already concerned about my mental health every now and then. I mean, I'm prone to depression, maybe paranoia. My dad got put in an institution before he died, a mental institution, was institutionalized many times before he died. My mom kind of lost her marbles at the end there, didn't know where she was, seeing people who, as far as I could tell, weren't there, but who knows. Um, so I, I worry about that now and then, but I do say, I, I got to say that out here, I find more peace, more sanity than any other place. I can feel the contrast immediately when I go into town. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoo, man, I can just, this vibe here, this energy is like, it's nauseating. It is literally sickening. And uh, I think my, I've just become more vulnerable amongst all this peace in the mountains to myself that uh, it's harder for me to withstand. So I'll say that if we're talking about health, you know, tying that up mm-hmm. um, for all the physical challenges and I can't really point to one that I'm like that's definitely because of the way we're living back pains all the things I mentioned I had some measure of that before we got out here um it didn't just clear up like a magic pill like I got in some you know beautiful magical water and boy went away forever no I carry my scars I carry my mistakes I carry my burdens but uh my mental health feels good stabilized mountains got its own ways mountains got its own ways and so I guess with that, we'll, uh, we'll call this first portion good. And uh, you want to take a break? All right. See you on the other side. Hi, my name's Gumby. And I'm Teresa. We like to laugh and have fun here at Escaping Society. But right now, we'd like to take a moment to talk about something a little more serious. Do you know a dog? who was born without thumbs? Sure, we all do. Every day, thousands of dogs without thumbs are forced into lives of dependency, deprived of the ability to hitchhike, to turn doorknobs, thumb wrestling, or to give high fives. They can only give high fours. In our own lives, we have one of these special needs dogs. Over the past 12 years, I have seen the frustration in my dog's eyes when he wants to approve of something, but cannot give me a thumbs up. We like to think of him not as thumbicapped, but as toe-capable. For a small donation, we, as healthcare providers for our own thumbless best friend, can continue to provide services such as door opening, feeding, and the occasional toileting assistance. For a larger donation, we may even be able to buy him new thumbs. We don't know. So please, reach deep down in your pockets and your hearts and send us a donation today. Try doing it without thumbs. It's almost election season, and the Democratic Party wants you to vote blue. Yes, it's more important than ever as Democrats tirelessly battle against institutional racism. We finally hope to challenge the tyranny of old white men with our candidate, Uncle Joe Biden. He's older and whiter than anybody. Fight fire with fire, eh? But wasn't Joseph Stalin's nickname Uncle Joe? Not according to our fact-checkers. And disagreement is fascism. Many of you may be unaware of the proud history of the Democratic Party, beginning with its founder, President Thomas Jefferson. Democrats have always adored oppressed colored people. I believe that's people of color. Not according to our fact-checkers. 
Thomas Jefferson, for instance, loved black people so much that he had a collection of them numbering in the hundreds. It was Jefferson's and the Democratic Party's love of the First Nations people that caused them to support the Indian Removal Act and to preserve our red children on reservations, or, as we like to call them, Native American resort communities. We understand that even when other groups and races don't always know what's best for themselves, we do. Now, sometimes you'll hear people criticize the Democratic Party for opposing the emancipation of enslaved colored people of color. Well, I'm here to tell you that it was their love and deep connection to their sun-kissed sisters and brothers that caused them to hold on so tightly, so lovingly for so long. But weren't a few Democratic presidents members of the KKK? Hey, we've all been guilty of questionable behavior, even a rape or three. But identity shaming isn't our policy. We hate hate. And saying otherwise is hate speech, which we hate. But we shame and accuse people of rape all the time. Not according to our fact checkers. When we do it, it is called speaking truth to power. To say any different is victim blaming. Today, we, the Democratic Party, from the security of our inclusive gated communities, continue to celebrate our long association with oppressed peoples. Unless they're white. Those white devils can burn in the Christian hell of which I am far too educated and progressive to believe in. I can confidently say that all white people are evil, and all black people are noble and 100% right about everything. For here at the Democratic Party, we train ourselves daily to judge people not by the content of their individual character, but by the much more visible and reliable color of their skin. This is how you fight racism. But what about Mark Robinson or Clarence Thomas? They're white. Holding any other view is a microaggression. But... It is urgent that we stop the conservative extremists from keeping our colored children from exercising their science-given right to vote. Look, we all know that those people are incapable of figuring out how to acquire a free ID in this evil racist society. Why, I've even seen neighborhoods where good, young, colored men are apparently even denied the basic human right to purchase a belt. Is it really so silly to see a less intelligent, inferior race, weak, helpless, struggling, without their great white gender nonspecific parents, and to yearn to reach out my trembling hand to help? Um, everything you just said was kind of racist. Not according to our fact checkers. Black lives matter, which is why so many of our liberally supported policies strive to keep so many people of color safe and snug within the protective walls of our penitentiaries and institutions. Expressing other opinions is a form of gaslighting. If we were crazy, I assure you, we'd be more than happy to let everyone know it. We support diversity and inclusion. Unless you're not one of us. Then we hope you die. We support my body, my choice. As long as you make the right, approved of choice. Bodies making wrong choices will be publicly shamed, canceled, prevented from basic human rights, and confiscated by the state for re-indoctrination. And the Republicans and insurrectionists will stop at nothing to ruin our good name. They've even accused us of hating babies, which is ridiculous, hateful. And in actual point of fact, a form of literal physical violence. We love fucking babies. I mean, we fucking love babies. Even gross unborn ones. Here at the Democratic Party, why, just this morning, I used a precious little fetus to wax my electric car, and I gotta tell you, you've never seen such a brilliant shine on a Prius. Hmm. We use fetuses to keep our skin looking young. We eat fetuses with hummus, inject them for medicine. Hell, I've even been known to freebase a fetus or two. No one loves babies like we do here at the Democratic Party. 
I believe we also champion women's rights, but that's currently pending. A team of our own specially selected biologists is working around the clock in our labs in an effort to unravel that age-old riddle and to finally determine what a woman actually is. I'm pretty sure we'll be for them unless it offends someone. We'll keep you updated. We often champion causes that no one believes in. That whole Latinx thing, for example. We believe in following the science. Our science. Any other science or scientists are dark age, backwards, deplorable plague rats, like those anthropologists, psychologists, and the rogue free-thinking biologists who have always been right-wing conspiracy theorists. They hurt and offend science, and it is only through our unquestioning faith in science that we can ever hope to be downloaded into heaven. The Democratic Party has always been the party of unconditional love. Rainbows. All love is good love. We believe in love deeply, down to the core of where our souls would be. If your heart inspires you to pursue intimate relations with a child, a puppy, a child who identifies as a puppy, or an old man caked with makeup, perfume, who simply enjoys the feeling of a tiny, chubby, sticky hand down his pants, we will defend your goddess-given right to express that love. Hmm. Love trumps hate. We identify as being right about this. And we will continue to wage our heroic war against eco-villainy. Look, sure, we could just change ourselves. We could give up unnecessary luxuries that harm the environment. But we hold the deep conviction that addressing the faults in others will make us feel much better about ourselves. And let's face it, taking responsibility for ourselves is white privilege, and we are firmly anti-racist. So please, if you like the idea of imposing your will on others without their consent... Under the threat of violence, get out to the polls. The tyranny of the majority can only work for you if you vote and win, or appear to win. It's only fair. Donate now to keep spreading this message. More government always makes everything better. For everybody. After all, we'll get your money in taxes anyway. But trust us, it goes down better if it feels voluntary. Together we can upright this upside-down, inverted, topsy-turvy world and put it right-side-up down on its head again. This ad is approved of by wholesome butter-based white people. And we're back. So, since this is the last podcast that we're recording in the mountains, anyway, that we know of, um, I would just like to recap on some of the other people that we've met this summer up here in the mountains. And by people, I don't uh, just mean human people, but there was this one camp in particular that we were visited by a very curious and fun-loving bee that was watching this water drop off the tarp on our front porch of the van as it rained. And uh, it was just fascinated by, I don't know what it was even seeing because I guess bees can see different like colors in the spectrum or whatever. So I don't know what it looked like to the bee But this rain that was dropping at a constant speed um, just captured its attention so much. And then the bee was actually diving into the water droplet just to, I don't know. I don't know what the purpose would have been to just have fun, I guess, which probably is allowed in bee life. Yeah, I've never seen a bee do anything like that. He was just, (laughs) he would actually like watch the drops coming off this tarp we're sitting there and it's such a pretty evening and the rain's starting to settle in and we're under our front porch which is a a tarp held up by poles attached to the van 
And this bee just, yeah, he's just watching these raindrops, like goes right up to him. And then after a little while, he actually run, like flies through him like a kid running through a sprinkler. <laughs> and I would have thought like that was just a mistake, but he did it at least twice. Like he enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly either a play or just some kind of like, it, I, I don't think it was play. I can't describe it in any other terms. And then another person that I met and I couldn't quite show Gumby because well it was a really interesting encounter with some crayfish and um, actually this was at the same camp as the bee the curious bee I go down to the creek and wash the dishes and often have some exchanges with the crayfish that I meet and in this particular area of the creek there was this huge grandpappy crayfish. I'm going to say it was grandpappy. It could have been grandmommy. But this thing was like, boy, if you would have caught that, that would have been some damn fine eating. Um, Mini lobster claws, but not by much mini. Anyway, I was just playing around like I usually do with the crayfish. I take my my scrubby that I wash the dishes with, which is Mm -hmm. basically a net, a piece of a net bag from like onions or something or lemons. It's not a dirty euphemism. No. Um, sometimes it is. And I'll like dip it in the water and sometimes the crayfish will like, uh, grab onto it and I'll like lift them up out of the water. And again, it's not a dirty you. <laughs> so I'm doing this and all of a sudden grandpappy crayfish comes out and kind of gives me one of these looks like, what do you think you're doing? You are leading my crayfish children astray. And the way that that crayfish interacted with me, I tried not to go back to that spot. Damn, I was so curious because I wanted to play with my crayfish friends, but that that crayfish had something to say. He really did. And, And then I didn't see him after that. And there was a huge flood that happened in that creek Um, So I'm not sure if Grandpappy moved or if, you know, who knows, that might have been the end of his long line in his life. I don't know. But, uh, man, that was an interesting exchange. I actually had some video of the crayfish I was playing with, but it won't won't go off my phone onto the Internet. I don't know why. Well, I got one person, if we're talking about memorable people we met in the mountains, that occurs to me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're done talking about getting your scrubby wet and letting <laughs> while you're playing with the crayfish. Um, no oh euphemism. And, yeah, there's this one guy on the trail at the last campsite we were at, Linville Gorge. And we were walking down this long trail, and we came across this group of people. Oh, um, yeah. This guy with this kind of like, you know, younger guy, younger than me. When you get my age, like everybody starts looking younger unless they're really old. <laughs> and uh, so he had his hair cut, you know, in that kind of weird shaved, like uh, post-apocalyptic way, kind of wokey way, I guess. And uh, he seemed to be, I don't know if he was with his family or leading a hike. There was a couple older guys with him that just looked like they were done <laughs> panting. But uh, I passed him and... You know, they, they kindly get out of the way to let T- Teresa and I pass and Sherlock. Sherlock goes by him and he says, uh, hey, puppy dog. And I say, oh, he's a long way from being a puppy dog. And he says, well, they're all, they're all puppy dogs. And as I'm passing, you know, down this trail, I say, that's racist. Oh, my God. And I just, I just chuckle thinking back at that because if he was indeed like a Wokey, I just called him like the worst insult you can call a Wokey. 
And uh, it wasn't, it was just kind of like a knee-jerk reaction for me. But, you know, of course, I didn't have time to, like, stop and uh, get into a conversation with him about it. But uh, I actually think it is funny. I've drawn that parallel before that, you know, racists will call black adults boy, you know, as a uh, racist. It's it's like part of this hatred, this unique hatred for another race tends to be like to try to rob someone of their adulthood, their status. So you can't grow up. You're a child to me. You're below me. You're lower status. And I find it interesting how we do the same thing to dogs. So, you know, Sherlock is clearly an old dog, yet it just strikes me as a weird, funny parallel that we also do that to subjugate an animal. Um, same tactic. Hey, boy. Doesn't matter how old they are. They're boy. They can't grow up. They can't be an adult. They can't be equal. They've got to be lower status. So I actually wasn't just saying that flippantly. I actually have a kind of reasoning behind that, but I didn't have time to go into all that. But what... <laughs> what made me chuckle was how like quickly I said that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't trying to like be clever. It was just, that's racist. And how speechless he was. There was no like <laughs> chuckle. There was nothing. He was just like you turning it. that over in his head. Like he just called me a racist. Was I being racist? Was that latent racism? Was that uh my white privilege? Like you ruined his day. I, I kind of did. Wasn't there somebody in the group that said that's not racist. That's doggish. Speciesism. Speciesism. Oh, speciesism. Yeah, this old guy. <laughs> but, oh, and one other guy, since I'm talking, I guess mm-hmm. I'll throw in. I didn't actually meet this person in person, but this happened this summer. Actually happened last time we were in town, I think. We were getting on Wi-Fi. And uh, we've got this button that you can send us a message through our website. <laughs> I get a lot of spam. I don't know what the spam is. It looks like it's written in Polish or something. But, uh, you know, I just delete it. But I get that a lot frequently, the spam sent through our Escaping Society message thing. When I get online, this big picture pops up of oh, this boy. Latino woman with her legs spread really wide on this oh, couch. God. And this dude eating her out. I mean, he was like in up to his ears. <laughs> so I just want to thank whoever sent me that. Oh, um, my God. If I'm going to get spam, I mean, that's a lot more interesting than that little weird hieroglyphic Polish shit. So I'm going to have to figure out something about, like, to stop spam bots. But then Gumby will be sad. It's going to be back to porn. Yeah. Um, how about some other people that we met earlier this summer before we knew that we were going to do the podcast? So I didn't write down... A whole lot. Well, I know you wanted to protect people's identity just in the off chance that the <laughs> wrong person at the exact wrong time who gives a shit is listening to one of our dinky little episodes, which could happen. I respect that. So how about uh, you were maybe not wanting to mention their names or specific locations, but uh, how about that guy we talked to for hours in the park? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So I was going to call him C. Okay, anyway, the point... I want to call him CU. Because <laughs> I like that better. Hey, see you. Um, we were basically just kind of hanging out in the shade on this hot afternoon in... I'm going to go ahead and say Asheville. And uh, at one of our favorite parks because it's got a really nice swim area that used to be private, but that's okay. Um, so we're just kind of hanging out in the shade, letting our clothes dry on the van and, you know... Uh, trying to be uh, unnoticed with, you know, laundry being all over our van. And this dude comes over. He's like 
uh, riding in on a motorcycle, and he just kind of moseys on over and strikes up a conversation with us. And one of the things that I really appreciated (laughs) about him, and this might be narcissistic, but he was like, you know, I want to be like you guys. I want to be more like you guys, just like hanging out, enjoying the shade on a hot day. Here's something I think is funny about when he walked up that I was just remembering. So he's a black guy and he's got really dark skin and he was on a motorcycle with the whole outfit, you know, like it was kind of a hot day and he was pouring sweat. It was a hot motorcycle outfit. When he walked up, he had his helmet on. (laughs) I'm realizing... I had a prejudicial reaction to him because he was a motorcyclist. I fucking hate motorcycles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of him taking off his helmet and like, oh, black guy, you know, it's actually like when he started talking, yeah, he was such a cool guy and had a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah, and something else that um, that struck out in that conversation was he was, um, Let's see. God, there were so many things that he said. But one of the things that he talked about a lot was like um, getting to know these different cultures overseas because that's where he wants to spend his retirement years is somewhere overseas outside of the United States. And one of the reasons why is practical um, because your money uh, in certain countries, certain areas of the world will go a lot further. So recognizing that everything in the U.S. is like the prices are going up, shit's getting crazy. Um, He was just trying to meet a woman like from a village somewhere. And he actually met this woman, went over to meet her in person. And she was kind of, I guess she she kind of felt like she was, um, I don't know, she felt ashamed because she lived in a hut. But then she would like go out into the water, whether it was a river or creek, And she would just lower her hands, like walk out into the water, lower her hands down into the water, and then just wait. And he he said she described it like a tree, be like a tree. And she would just wait until the right-sized fish would swim into her hand, and then she would snatch up the fish and fill up a basket full of fish. And he said, I just was blown away by all the skills that these... um, people had and just the simplicity of their lives. And aside from feeling ashamed, maybe in comparison to, you know, uh, richer cultures, they were so happy though. Yeah. He was impressed by it. When he asked how she did it, she said, be like tree. Yeah. Like still like a tree. And I love that. And, uh, this guy was just so refreshingly real. And so, uh, such a good speaker, man. I hope oh, he finds such a some good way to be like us. Uh, either a storyteller or a comedian or a motivational speaker. I mean, the way he would put a story together was just fascinating. We were like talking to this guy for hours. One of my favorite stories he shared was uh, he talked about getting put in prison. And he was into all these like criminal activities, selling drugs, different shit. I think stealing when he was younger. And I love the way he told the story because it never once did he portray himself as a victim, like people were treating him unjustly. He told a story about he used to be stupid and make a lot of mistakes, you know, and he uh, just the full responsibility he was taking for his actions was really cool in that story. And he tells a story like about how he got put in a prison cell with this white guy with all these racist tattoos um, that was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And they put... um, 
him in there, him being black, this guy we're talking about that we dare not mention his name, um, put <laughs> see. him in the prison, uh, see you, put him in the prison cell with this guy, you know, to start trouble. And same thing happened to me when I got arrested for the longest time I've been in jail, which wasn't that long. Um, they stuck me and my two friends who had shaved heads at the time, all of us, in the black cell. In this county, the cells are segregated. There's some black people in the white cell, but the black cell is all black people unless they want to get you in trouble. So they do that shit. So when he told the story, I was like, yeah, hey, I recognize this tactic. Mm-hmm. But he uh, says the guy in there, the white guy, looked at him and said, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying, like, it's almost time for me to get out. They're trying to get me into trouble, so I have to, I'm have i stuck in here longer. Mm. And, uh, you know, the guy telling us the story, see you, he was, like, telling us that he got along with this guy just fine. Like, all the stuff that he had been into um, to get those tattoos and everything, like, in there, he'd had time to think about it. You know, real life just kind of sets in when you're in a different situation. And uh, I like the way he just told that, you know, the real people came through from the whatever backgrounds, former ideologies, whatever mm-hmm. you might call that. People are just people. Hell yeah. Yeah, see you. And man, we uh, we actually ended up going back to that same park. And I think only because they were doing some sort of like, you know, uh, grass cutting or something. I think he wasn't at that same spot. But boy, I, I hope in the future we run into him because he was a cool dude. Maybe before he goes overseas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Another person that we met, um, even before that, because this was in a, a different town, um, we were just hanging out at a park again and struck up a conversation with this guy I'll refer to as T. I'm going to call him Soda. <laughs> okay. So um, T was also, <laughs> this is interesting, he was also riding a motorcycle and he was also black. Um, but he struck up a conversation with me and then, um, Gumby kind of joined in and, um, he was saying how he, he was a firefighter for like the past 30 something years. And so he comes up uh, around the Blue Ridge Parkway in the mountains just to like enjoy the beauty, you know, like he sees so many tragedies, especially with overdoses. He actually, um, is called in more for like, uh, overdoses of narcotics than, Did you say than what fires. His job is? I think I said firefighter. Yeah. So for like over three decades, this man has been responding to crises in people's lives and he comes up to the mountains to refresh and renew himself. And, um, I think both T and CU, uh, I think both of them, it's, it's interesting because I'm noticing a pattern like if a black person doesn't like the Black Lives Matter thing, they just kind of go ahead and open with that just in case. <laughs> like... I've wondered about that before <laughs> because both these people we're talking about, and they're not the only ones, have been people of color that have talked against Black Lives Matter. I've wondered what the reasoning for that is. I, I suspect that they see something going on they think is bullshit because both of these men spoke specifically against victimizing. They're like, that's bullshit. I've made money here. I've had opportunities. I've had it good. Like, you know, I've had some problems, but I was involved in creating those problems. That was their attitude. So they're calling out Black Lives Matter. And I think they're specifically bringing that up with us because we're white, because we 
they strike up conversations with us because we're doing unusual things. Like we're in a park, we got laundry hanging out. You know, they can tell we're kind of... You're like knitting or crocheting or making something with yeah, like cattail. We're not just the usual park visitor. <laughs> and I think they want to separate themselves from it, which I get. I feel the same way about like the woke movement. Or on the other hand, the uh, conspiracy theory, QAnon, you know, Uber Trump supporters. I don't want to be lumped in with either one of those. So if I'm talking Mm -hmm. to somebody, especially of another race, I think I might be more apt to more quickly bring up those groups and separate myself from it, just so you know. Yeah. Because it's easy when we have such divisiveness, and I think these men both understand this. Yeah. To just make snap judgments, to just see somebody and put them in a box. And the boxes that are getting the most attention right now are not good boxes for rational people. If you're a thinking, just real down-to-earth person that recognizes, you know, like, people are people, none of these boxes, none of these squeaky wheels getting all this fucking grease is really something you want to be allied with. These woke assholes? Hell no, I'm not one of them. Not one of the Trump supporters. And I think the black people likewise are saying, this Black Lives Matter shit, like, you know, like, saying that black people are always getting unfairly targeted and all cops are bad? Bullshit. I've been in trouble. I've been black my whole life. Let me tell you, that's bullshit. I understand that. And I think they're making that extra effort. Yeah. Cause, you know, with a white person. Because T also specifically brought up how he he felt like he lived in such a good country that, like, he owed this country yeah. his, his service. Yeah, he said, like, I owe this country. That's I, why that's he why was. That's why I'm a firefighter. Exactly. So I really thought that was uh, admirable just yeah. to recognize, like, you know, Teresa and I are coming about it a different way. Um, it doesn't drive us to want to serve the country. It seemed like soda was a little more like patriotic. <laughs> Tea. And we're and not so- that patriotic. <sighs> but we also are recognizing the same thing. We're looking more to nature than to our culture. But same message, you know, blessings. Yeah. We've got it good. We're not victims. We're not out here because we're homeless and we couldn't make it in society. And, you know, like it was just so unfair. We're just like. Yeah, society, I mean, it's kind of, it's got not, doesn't have much going for it. There's so much out here, but both of us like speak to other people about our good fortune. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, God, somebody else that we met that, uh, was, uh, in a, in a way entertaining, but also in a way, like we just didn't have anywhere else to go at the time was this guy, um, I guess I'll I guess I'll call him Jeff because I don't really give a shit. <laughs> Jeff, uh, he was up he was up on the Blue Ridge Parkway. I'm gonna call him Chris. Okay, and uh, he'd actually showed up right before these Porsche Car Club members drove their Porsches into this one overlook and just inundated us with their um, smugness. And richness. Yeah, that's something I wanted to, without distracting your story, is uh, I it, one of the things I can't stand on the parkway is all these old people with <laughs> way too much money, this whole life just accumulating money, and they don't know what to do with it. And so they'll get in these pathetic-looking little, like, there's this Porsche club. All they do is drive the parkway in a whole group of loud, obnoxious Porsches, fill up the overlook with their Porsches, so it's kind of congested, get out, chatter like a bunch of old fucking chickens, just clucking away, cluck, 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 cluck. <laughs> Talk about, you know, something about the overlook. Sometimes they go and snap a picture. Sometimes they don't even go to the overlook and then get back in their Porsches and go show off at another overlook. 
all they can do with all that money is create a situation where they're like, hey, you got a Porsche? I got a Porsche. Let's go make them drool. Hey, baby. And it's just, it looks so pathetic. There's so many of these clubs going along the parkway. And Anyway, back to uh, Chris. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this guy, um, he, I don't know how really to describe him, except I think he was probably a little bit on some sort of drug of some kind, or he had been in his life at some point. But uh, he was kind of like... He was a hustler. That's he how was I like describe. pulling at his clothes a little too much and like just kind of being older guy. fidgety. Yeah. Um, but something that stuck out in that conversation was his use of the N-word. Yeah. We had just talked about in our podcast, yeah. uh, this other guy we met, who we've already mentioned his name, Sam. Uh, I'll call him uh, Johnson. So, <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Johnson like used the N-word, and we talked at length about that. Um, but right after that, here's another white guy that without any prompting, without any talking about anything remotely like that, he whips out the N-word. Now, the, I had a couple thoughts about, well, what were your thoughts about it? Well, once again, you know, uh, found myself questioning, what is up with some of these people just whipping out the N-word? And um, that's why, you know, I am, we had a conversation this morning, Gumby and I, about, uh, like, maybe people that have lived up in the mountains their whole life, like, haven't been around black people, or, like... I don't know if they've ever had a um, reaction, like from someone that to stop them from saying that or not. Okay, can I? Are you done with that thought? Uh. Go ahead. Oh shit! I mean, basically, I was done. Okay, I'm sorry. I had a thought that I was like not wanting to lose. He wasn't from the mountains. He was from Florida. Well, he had, he was he had he was talking lived about in the purchasing before. property up there, and he'd lived in the mountains before, but he wasn't like one of the locals. Mm-hmm. So I had two thoughts about his use of the N-word. One, he's a hustler. Well, the first thing we saw him do was when the Porsche Club came in, he walked up and inserted himself in that group and started talking to all the old people and teasing them, you know, about like uh, just anything, just talking crap. Mm. And he kept looking over at us and like winking and like, you know, like it was a big joke, like, look at me. And they thought he was like in the Porsche Club. <laughs> so... I could tell this guy likes playing people. He likes doing things that makes him feel smarter than everybody. Hmm. So I wondered if he saw us and didn't think we were a couple of the local mountain white people, you know, the yokels. And so it was kind of playing us. Like, I'm going to speak their language. Look at me, you know, hobnobbing with the, you know, the local hillbillies. Now, the other thing, if I'm, that's not what was going on, is I have a concern that what if people are using the word more. One of the things I've been concerned with, with all this woke shit, is they're pushing so hard. Yeah. You push hard. This is a fucking law of nature. To every action, there will be an equal and opposite reaction. You push, eventually there will be push back. I'm worried that this fucking ideology that is not black people... It's an ideology, I'd say mostly white people, some black people, but it is a way of thinking, not a race, not a skin color. That is so fucking insane and aggressive and uh, just... But they're the victims. <laughs> victimizing, I mean, just fucking awful. I'm worried that the pushback is going to be in the form of heightened racism. Yeah. Because the Wokies are setting themselves up 
as the people of color, the downtrodden, the victims, um, and it's really setting the people that they're pretending to champion, it's setting them up really fucking badly. Yeah. And that's another reason I think the other two guys we talked about, I think some people are eager to reach out and say, look, you see my black face, but don't assume I'm one of them. They are not speaking for me. I'm hearing the shit they're saying, and I'm getting just as pissed off seeing them on TV as everybody else. So I think that's maybe part of what's going on with all three of the men you mentioned, the two black men and the white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't really actually have much more to say about um, Chris slash Jeff, but um, that was just another interesting uh, just N-word bomb up here. And, you know, uh, in one of the episodes we were talking about how supposedly black people are too afraid to come up to the mountains because there are, like, these scary racist white hillbillies, but... Um, that's not really the picture that's actually happening. So I suggest that you stop um, with the fear-mongering and start listening to people and opening your own eyes and stop believing what everybody's telling you. And this and including bullshit us, you that know? sounds so one-sided. I would love for any black man, because I'm a white man, that it would be listening to this and does believe that, you know... Um, blacks get victimized so much. Mm -hmm. Let's take a day and I will go in the poorest, most crime ridden black neighborhood I can find. And I'll spend an hour walking around. (laughs) You in that same town find the poorest, most crime ridden white neighborhood you can find. (laughs) And you spend an hour walking around and then let's get together and let's compare notes. That's all I'm going to say about it. Let's just compare notes. I mean, if people are going to promote an idea like that, like, oh, here's the victims and here's the uh, aggressors, let's just put it to the test. Let's put the rubber on the road. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, That would definitely be interesting. And uh, another kind of magical thing that happened last night is we're leaving the mountains. This is our last full day here, leaving tomorrow. But uh, last night I'm sitting around the fire, getting dark. I'm playing my uh, one of my native flutes. And uh, I stop, and we hear about two notes of what sounds to be a native flute. We're out here all by ourselves. We're way out here. And we walk this road every day. There's no other camp. Well, there is today. But for the last two days, no other campers on this road. And this flute noise seemed to come, like, right around the perimeter of this camp. (laughs) And Teresa heard it, too. It was clearly, like, at least two notes of what sounded clearly... Like, we know, I mean, we've been listening to the birds and the wildlife out here all summer. It sounded clearly like a flute. And I had actually heard it a little bit before that, um, but Gumby plays his flute, you know, sporadically throughout the day, but it wasn't, it wasn't Gumby. And then um, I had noticed that there were two beer bottles, like glass beer bottles out. And I was like, oh, maybe it was just the wind for some reason, going over the bottles. So I put them inside the van in a bag. There's no other bottles out, nothing that would catch the wind and make that sound. And the notes that we heard, both of us, uh, after Gumby played, after we were sitting around the fire, it sounded not just like random notes of something blowing in the trees or 
over, you know, a piece of garbage or something. It sounded like a flute. And that was such a magical gift, but here's what I really like about the story. (laughs) We hear this, and we've been in the mountains so long and have heard so much weird shit and seen so many miracles up here that (laughs) we just kind of like, well, that was neat. And then just kind of went about our night. Like, (laughs) I think at one time I would have like spent hours like, what was that? Oh my God, was that a spirit? And I was just like, that's probably another spirit. Yeah. I mean, they start becoming more common, more commonplace. And yet you don't want to normalize them. You know, you kind of want to keep the appreciation up. But yeah, man, you see the mountains are strange. Mountains got its own ways. Mountains got its own ways. (laughs) Pilgrim. Uh, Well, time is getting a little short for us here. But since this is the last uh, recording in the mountains, was there anyone else or anything else in particular because um, then I was going to ask you about your rosebud and thorn for the mountains. Turn that around on you. My goodness. Um, no, no people. I mean, Teresa's more the people person. I don't really <laughs> interact with people that much. Um, but opening it up to people of all species, yeah, nothing just comes off the top of my head. I know we've talked at length about the yellow jacket, so I won't say anything. I will more say about this that. about your crayfish. Uh, euphemism aside, but <laughs> Teresa has an unusual relationship with crayfish. Constantly, she's running into crayfish in places that I was just at and didn't see a single one. <laughs> and they come out and visit her and interact with her. Um, and I wonder about that. You know, like, you know, there's that idea of like someone's got, let's say, coyote medicine. And what's meant by that is they have this connection to the coyote and they might see the coyote more than other people. But I also think it's got something to do with your behavior. I think you are feeding them with your attention, and they're responding to that as well. Hmm. So your attention is a form of communication. You've opened a line of communication with them that I and most other people do not. So I think that's a real uh, interesting thing to ponder, Hmm. because the implications can take you down a rabbit hole. Ooh, we did hear coyote. Speaking of coyote Yeah, energy. we actually, we've been seeing coyote scat now and then. And uh, old Sam, he mentioned coyotes up here. And we were wondering, like, we hear coyotes in Bahama, uh, outside of Durham, where we go in the winter all the time. We haven't heard any coyotes up here. Just see their signs now and then. So we were wondering why that would be. If they're up here, why don't they sing up here? And then I realized, well, it's always cold weather when we're down in Bahama. It's always warm weather up here. I wonder if it's a temperature thing, a seasonal thing. Sure enough, to support that theory, just recently we heard coyotes for like the first or maybe second time recently, and uh, man, it was just like, it was like Indian singing. It was such a different song than the lowland coyotes. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was, yeah, that was a magical night. And wasn't that after the autumn equinox? Yep. That was, so it had gotten colder. So, good ideas. Um, so... Gumby, rosebud and thorn for our summer in the mountains. And rosebud and thorn for people just joining us. Rose is a good thing. Thorn is not really a bad thing. Something that challenged you, and uh, bud is something you're looking forward to. Huh? Let's see. Do you know yours? I'm gonna have to think about it. You just sprung it on me. Yeah. You were gonna spring it on me. Ha ha. No, I wasn't. I told you about it. That's why you know about it. Ha okay. ha. Okay, you're right. Um. <laughs> So 
I decided that for my rose, I was going to pick the last night that we we went up to Wiseman's View, and everything was in its best light. Even if it wasn't in the light, you know, like the dark, dark shadows of the ridges and mountains across the gorge. And uh, there's like, you can see, even though it's a wilderness, you can see through the uh, the gap in the mountains, the, the next city over a town. And even that looked really good then. And then we heard a, a screech owl off to the side. And uh, so I would say that evening. And I think we saw some more brown mountain lights that night or something. We saw something weird in the gorge that was light related. Um, my oh, can I do my rose? Sure. Because I do know my rose and that'll give me more time to think about the other stuff. So rose, this is kind of a cheat. It's kind of a build on what you said, but I'd have to just say the beauty in a more general way. Cause one of the things that strikes me as an overarching theme in the mountains is just the beauty. This is a beautiful way to live. This is a beautiful place. This is a beautiful life. And, um, what struck me the other day about the beauty was, you know, I've heard kind of religious people say things like to the effect that we're not worthy. We're not, uh, no, I think of Wayne's world. We're not worthy, but like, <laughs> um, we're not deserving. We don't deserve all this that God has given us. And I just thought it was kind of like Christian guilt kind of stuff. And I feel like I've gotten a recent insight into that, of that feeling that it might come from, I don't deserve any of this. So much beauty around me. And what have I done to deserve any of it? What did I do that it's like, oh, you deserve to have this beautiful, clean river. You deserve to have the solitude among all these glowing plants in the wilderness and this smurf blue sky. (laughs) I didn't deserve any of it. So what that is, if you didn't earn it, is a gift. Just gifts. That's my rose. Is so just the continuous gifting. Um, I really like that because it's like you took the the sort of Christiany guilt thing, but you took the the other part of that, like the other side well, of the coin. I suspect what that came from originally was not guilt. Yeah, of course. I think course. I tapped into the original maybe thought. Yeah. And it's been interpreted in guilty ways by certain Christians who misunderstand it, I believe. But I thought, like, what a guide that is as well. Because if I don't deserve it, if it's all gifts, then isn't it sort of a like a guide of, like, what if you spent the rest of your life while you're here amidst all this beauty, all this abundance, trying to be worthy of it? Mm-hmm. That was your guiding light. I want to be worthy of this. Ooh. This is so good. This is so beautiful. How every day and every moment... Can I be worthy of it? And I'm not at all trying to say that I do that. It just struck me of like how that would help you lead such a beautiful life Mm -hmm. to use that as a guiding light. I really like that. And you just came up with that on the fly too? No, I wrote it down. It was in my notes. (laughs) Um, My thorn, which was my, my challenging thing, was the beginning of the summer. We already shared the story with you about the, uh, the heat on the parkway, the the park rangers being called on us and the maintenance workers kind of giving us a hard time because, I don't know, because they get a prize or something. But then we had these forest volunteers, like, they were older people, so it's not like they were really scary, but the woman was, like, mean, like one of the meanest people I've ever met in my entire life. Just complete bitch through and through. Um, And forest volunteers if you're not aware, are these people that I imagine they're not just doing this out of the kindness of their heart because they were in a National Parks truck 
and in a kind of volunteer forest uniform. Um, but they go around at certain campsite areas and they like take pictures of your campsite or they like take pictures of your license plate and they basically kind of make you feel like you're doing something wrong or outright tell you that you're doing something wrong, even though, um, as I found out, we were not doing anything wrong. But, uh, yeah, that made the first part of the summer really challenging. I couldn't feel relaxed. We even, um, Gumby, you had said like at all the campsites prior, we had stayed two weeks, but actually there was one where the forest volunteers were the same as another campsite. They like had a radius of, I don't know, 30 miles or something. And they showed up and they were even, the woman was even more of a bitch. And we ended up leaving early anyway, because I had to go do pet sitting. But yeah, that was my thorn was like the beginning of the summer and uh, the heat, so to speak, but not the, uh, the temperature so much as the mean, rude people. I'd have to say my thorn, without much thought about it, I did not have this one written down, (laughs) is myself. Um, Particularly what I mean by that is my aging, feeling my age. Um, It takes, some of us are slow learners. I'm a slow learner. I got to go through the school of hard knocks. I got to make every mistake in the book before I get something right. And um, it's kind of uh, not discouraging, but it's hard that I feel my age slowing me down. I feel like I can't do the things I used to do right when I'm starting to figure out what the hell living is. Mm. God, I wish I'd have done this sooner. I wish I'd have been working on skills like so the moment I dropped out of high school, I wish I would have just been on fire with like knitting and crocheting and carving and, and building shelters and, you know, just, oh man. So I feel like right now, I'm just starting to figure out how to live. I'm just getting my pacing. At the same time, I'm feeling like, oh, man, I feel the number of my days. I feel that this isn't going to go on forever. So just a reminder, you know, you don't have much time. If you're young and it's, it feels like you're going to live forever, you think you know abstractly, oh, I'm, I'm not going to live forever. Of course not. That's silly. You really aren't. That time goes quicker than you think. So uh, use what you got. You know, I'm not... I don't let myself sink into uh, self-pity of like, man, you know, I'm too old. I'm not too old. I'm doing incredible things that satisfy me and inspire me. I'm lucky to have the time I had. If it took me 45 years to get here, thank God I was given 45 years. Yeah. And then whatever years follow is just icing on the cake that I can use what I've learned in those 45 years and uh, get to play with it, get to cultivate it, get to explore it. It's a gift. Yeah. Well, that was beautiful. Um, (laughs) My bud, which is what I'm looking forward to, is getting to be up here in the mountains longer. Next year, Gumby has informed me that we're going to be up here even earlier in the year. And in addition to that, getting to learn more about the mountains, whether it's the plants and edibles, um, towns and the, the resources that they offer, like food pantries, and meeting more people up here, especially the mountain folk. So that is my bud. I'm going to use my bud to do something that I I think is a good practice. We, we kind of talk about, you know, we're leaving paradise and going down a dirty old Durham, which is true, but I think it's better to try to, uh, cultivate a discipline where you can look forward to the things you're going to do next. Cause I'm way too good at dreading the things I'm going to do. (laughs) I spent my whole life dreading what I'm going to do next. Um, so let's see what's something about Durham. 
One thing about Durham, we're going to be there for the six months during the winter, is we've got this uh, yard that we've mentioned in other podcasts, this little side yard that's technically city property, but it's connected to uh, where my mom used to live. And uh, unless something's changed, we're going to get to be there for like as much as we want to, basically. So I get to work on things and do things by not having to move every couple of weeks and setting down for six months that I can't do other places. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to kind of like pushing my skills in ways I couldn't um, with moving more. Mm. And actually, that makes me think of uh, the one and only listener who we've been able to coordinate an actual visit with. She was coming through town, Gabe. Um, She asked, and you brought it up earlier, if it's not hard to, like, work on skills and cultivate skills when you're moving around so much. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is it is harder. Um, I can't think of anything that's easier because of moving around, any skill. So some things are pretty easy to adapt, like knitting and crochet. Um, You know, I just have it in a bag. Sometimes i got to dig it out, whereas if I had a house, I might just have it in a basket easier to reach. No big deal. I can still push. Other things, like building a shelter, yeah, if I'm moving around every two weeks, I'm not going to put a lot of energy into what it would take to build a really good shelter. Um, that Things like that. Growing weed, growing cannabis, if you want to learn about that. Being in one place really helps you. That's a hard thing to learn about when you're traveling. So, yes, it is harder, but it makes me think of this quote. I think maybe Confucius said, and it's to the effect of those who want to do something find a way. Those who don't find an excuse. Mm. That's true in everybody's life. If there's something you want to do and you just can't seem to get around to it, you're in the latter group. There is a way. There's a way to make progress. Don't get hung up on some imagined goal. Just see if you can move closer to it. Sometimes that's what you can do. And it's like, you know, we had that episode about playing chess on passant. It's uh, developing your pieces, getting in the right position so when you can make that move, you're ready to take it. Sometimes that's what you're doing. Mm, the retreat, the tune symbol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tune. Maybe the time to fight your battle isn't right now because you're going to get clobbered. The queen's right there. All the, the pieces are against you. Instead, retreat, pull back, strategize, develop your pieces. And then when the time is right, then you can make your fight. Don Juan, who I mention often, Carlos Castaneda books, talked about that. A warrior chooses his battlefield. Don't go in places where you're weak. Carlos shared a story where he went to this party and they treated him really badly. They made fun of him. And Don Juan kind of scolded him and said, you're not acting like a warrior. Why'd you go there? That's not your battlefield. No wonder they clobbered you. You had nothing. Everything was against you. (laughs) A warrior chooses where they make their stands, when they show up, when they leave, where their battlefield is. And I think that's part of Toon, too. So that's my bud, is like having a chance to try to work on those types of skills. And I, hopefully I answered, uh, Gabe's question there. Mm-hmm. I like how you did that. Well, we've, uh, we've reached our time. We've exceeded our time. So all I'll say is, um, if you want to write to us, escapingsociety.weebly.com, there's a contact form on the front and evidently you can send Gumby porn that way as well. Yeah. And if you do send me any, uh, uh, spam in that form, I'm an ass man. Mm-hmm. You take that in any direction you want. You are an ass. I'm a heterosexual ass man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me clarify. <laughs> oh. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, there's a big donate button at the top if you feel so moved. And um, there's also links to our YouTube channel and Facebook page and stuff like that. 
So escapingsociety.weebly.com. And Tim from Maine, if you send me a picture of your ass, we ain't friends anymore. <laughs> Bye. Horizon. We ain't got no address.